Welcome to the mixtape. I'm Valerie. And I'm Natalie. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Today we have a cool conversation between two people that have known each other in this industry for quite a while. We have Todd Radloff, who is Mixed Talent's Head of Client Solutions and Delivery. And he's talking with Denise Razone, who is the Chief Business Officer at Servier Pharma. And these two have known each other for quite some time, although I don't think they disclosed how many years it was. <laughs> I know. I think if you uh, go back to when Denise was at Avid, you could probably do the math. But let's just say it's been a long time. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a secret for now. But um, I think that, you know, these two have built this great professional relationship that's built on common values and just being authentic with each other. And it's really cool to see how they've been connected through the growth of both of their careers um, which I think is really neat. Yeah, and Todd, having Todd as a leader for us at Mix is just so special because he really is able to deliver, no pun intended on his title, but deliver why it's so important to maintain these relationships with the people that we're working with. So whether it's the candidates or the clients, one day they might become a candidate, one day they might become a client, who knows? But we really get to follow these amazing professionals on their career journeys and see what they're able to achieve. And it's special to be a part of that. I totally agree. And I think being in the people business, as we sometimes call it, we all have this curiosity of, you know, what got you to where you are today, your career journey, what makes you you. And I think Denise dives into quite a bit of that, of, you know, what what has gotten her to where she is now and then what also drove her into this industry. I think she tells a personal, a nice personal touching story um, kind of of what brought her to this industry. So we'll let them share that story. So without further ado, here is Todd and Denise. Hi, this is uh, Todd Radloff. I am the head of client solutions and delivery with Mixed Talent. Uh, and today, welcome to the Mixtape. I am joined by Denise Razone, who is currently chief business officer at Servier Pharma, uh, a privately owned company focused on the oncology and rare disease. Uh, welcome, Denise, to the podcast. Thank you, Todd, for inviting me. Absolutely. I was thinking back to um, the first time we talked. I was trying to remember what the conversation was. And it clicked that you were in marketing at Abbott. And the reason I noticed your profile, aside from the work experience, was that you were, you went to Mount Holyoke, which is where my sister went to school. And that was my first like segue into the conversation is talking point between I was born in Chicago. So I had the Chicago talking points. Then I had uh, the Mount Holyoke connection, which is a smaller connection. Not a lot of people you know, I've seen in the industry that went to the school. So that was the first recollection I had. Um, do you remember that at all as far as yeah. the connection? Yeah. Yeah. First it was at Avid and we continued with Baxter and some of these were rainy days and some of these were snowy days. <laughs> and it was always an easy conversation. We just seemed to go from work and the Chicago area and ASCO and ASH. And it was just one continual conversation. I can't believe that was so long ago. <laughs> I, it, it, let's not let's not say how long. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again for coming on to the, the mixtape here. Uh, one of my favorite questions is just learning from how people got into industry. Can you kind of share with our audience, you know, how did you get into industry yourself? Uh, you know what? I just uh, did an internship in college uh, while I was in uh, Turkey with a pharmaceutical company uh, with the chief of staff. And her big project was pricing um, 
uh, for a new drug. And I just thought that it was so interesting, so many moving parts, so complex. And there was always something to learn. Before I knew it, um, after college, my first job was in a healthcare communications company. And during MBA, I had an internship of Lilly. And that's the rest is history. Not the straightforward path. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not an MD. <laughs> that's that's quite a journey. And and since you've been at Servier for Pharma for, you know, about four years, that growth has been tremendous. Um, when you think of over the last four years, like what do you think are the key or you know opportunities that have led to the success that you've had a chance? I think part of the success for Servier. The exponential growth for the four years is we had a four-pronged growth strategy on our people, on our business, on our reputation, and there was a significant focus on acquisition and growth. The first thing I remember, September 2018, I come to Servier, and they didn't ask us, hey, what happened to the deal model and what changed? It was how are you going to grow? What is it that you couldn't do in the prior company that you'd like here? And that was such a breath of fresh air. So we created what we called a value creation plan and we actually executed. And then in two years time, we were able to make another acquisition where I was deeply involved with and it was very exciting. And during COVID uh, months, I was in my PJs upstairs with a headphone working through an acquisition. And I was involved from the beginning all the way to integration. And that led to, that was basically the oncology arm of Agios. And I remember in 2018, I was asked to give a talk and I was saying, okay, well, we came with 79 people. Maybe we'll get to 250 people in five years oh my God, it hasn't even been five years and we are 400 people yeah. and we're almost half a billion dollars. It's a fantastic journey. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that it has everything to do with our culture as well. And I was just going to say, so you've, you've also had a chance to have some, you know, success and nominations with that. So how, you know, tell us a little bit about that culture and how you guys are able to keep it or evolve it over the, during that time. Yeah, I think that uh, the culture is a really critical piece. Our leadership is made of people who have the experience to deliver, but also has the right attitude. Uh, our leadership mantra is seek to understand. We really want to not only succeed ourselves, but as a team. So I think that collaborative nature, the connectedness, is really, really critical to who we are. Yeah. And that's really led us to get the, uh, or be recognized for the Boston best places to work. We were so, so excited we got it for one year, but to get it two years in a row, it's just been super motivating to every one of us. And we also got recognition for business development um, as one of the best teams to work. Um, and our patient teams have been recognized to be top five in corporate recognition. There is something in the water here uh, that's really helping us achieve these goals. Yeah, and the culture makes a big difference. I mean, you have to attract going from, what did you say, 75 to 400, right? You have to find people that are 
you know, wanting to join an organization for the right reasons, right? And that's yeah. not to win it twice. I think that probably speaks to the connectivity that people are. Yeah. And maybe one part of it is that we are governed by a nonprofit foundation, so we can make longer term decisions and maybe we can just be a lot more strategic and uh, think through our options a little better. Yeah. But I got to stop talking about me. I mean, <laughs> you've had a, a pretty massive growth journey yourself. Right, I spent yeah. what three years as mix. Yeah, we just had our or uh, our fourth anniversary. Oh my god, eight! Hey. I know. Yeah, it, it's so we just were. Yeah, we just crossed upon four, and you mentioned um, the best places to work, and we've been fortunate where uh, we've won it every year since we've um, been around. So we've or we've won it for three times, and when okay, I thought now who's showing off, I, I, <laughs> I it's it's been um, an absolute treat, and I. We had never, I had never been with a company that had won the award before. Yeah. And so, you know, my first thought was, well, I'm just excited to win the award. But then when you kind of step back and let it soak in, it was more um, exciting to see how happy and excited the team was. Yeah. And that the foundation of our mix OS and our values, that people, that that resonated as a place that people wanted to join yeah. um, and stay. And so like that has been the biggest um blessing or you know kind of sense of pride for me is really just how well that has worked is that when we started mix that those yeah. those values have uh they've evolved but they still remain yeah. really why the foundation is and and so i think that tees companies up for success when you have people yeah. bought into the culture yeah. you know you can see all the benefits that kind of come from that that doesn't surprise me i think probably has to do with some authenticity, some caring that's embedded in there. I, I know it's true here. Yeah, you have to be. I think, you know, in today's world, people just sense it very quickly, right? Whether yeah. it's just something that's on a wall or, you know, do, do the people and not just um, a group, yeah. really the entire company, do they embody the things that they're, um, that you list as the values? Um, we hear people talk about therapeutic categories all the time. And at least in the recruiting calls, Usually there's a tie, a passion for, or people are hoping to kind of get into a category. Oncology for you, what has that meant to you? Was that um, by design or more of just curiosity? What was that journey for you? You know, I was minding my business at Abbott, working on primary care and specialty businesses. And uh, I, I went to London on a business trip and met with one of my best friends from Mount Holyoke. And uh, she had long red hair, really long, really rich red hair. And I meet her at a coffee shop and she had super short hair and the hair looked kind of, just didn't look like it belonged to her. And little did I realize that she was going through cancer and it was a wig. And we ended up having a conversation that I wasn't expecting to have. She didn't have access to the right drugs she wasn't uh and she had everything to look forward to she she was dating somebody and uh planning her wedding and before you know it i heard that she um had uh she died and it was so quick within 18 months wow um it just hit me so hard she was 33 like how do you how do you so 
so I really wanted to do something on the equity side of things. It's like she, she just couldn't get the biologic she needed. It just wasn't in the cards for her. And that's that really propelled me to look for a switch in cancer. And it wasn't possible at the time at Abbott. So I moved to Hospira and I was working on biosimilars. That was kind of my entry to global and cancer Um so there's not any day that I don't think of anything without Lisa. Yeah. Um, and I don't even work in breast cancer, right. um, but that was the impetus. Well, thank you for sharing that. And that's, um, we do hear that connection that, you know, if you look either between friends or family or, or coworkers, yeah. um, that's one of the reasons I'm in the industry is just the, the, the patient side of it, the education on all the you know, terrible diseases that are out there and yeah. you know, how can you contribute to helping, you know, those people in some way? Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons I like being here is that Servia does make a concerted effort to put 25% of all the revenues into R&D and half of it goes to cancer. So it's taken very, very seriously here. I mean, we just had an all hands meeting today and we had a patient testimonial. It's, it's just part of our DNA. That's wonderful. You mentioned um, a little bit ago when we were talking about, you know, what led you to Servier Pharma, that the relationships that you built while you're at Baxter and ba um, Baxter, uh, those days, um, and we've talked a little bit about just the need for, you know, great mentors and networking to kind of help you um, achieve, you know, success. Can you talk to the audience just a little bit about how have you know, whether it's the mentors or just from a networking perspective, how those pieces have been important to you? Yeah, um, I think in hindsight, uh, the mentors informally or formally have played a big role. I remember being at Abbott, um, there was a very formal mentorship structure and Kathy McFarland is somebody I still remember. She was um, our program leader, but also the head of uh, women leaders at Abbott. And I remember going to a few meetings and learning about it. And I didn't even realize that I was getting a whole lot of skills and working on all these uh, different projects that I was one day going to pay forward at Hospira or Shire uh, when I became the co-leaders. Um, even here, we don't have a, um, a defined program for mentorships, but we're always thinking through how do we mentor folks? How, how do we bring women leaders together? What is from global or US? There, and even, so I keep wanting to look for opportunity to give back. And, you know, as far as the need, why do you think people either uh, need one or what makes a great one for you? What do you think about those? You know mentors? what? Whether you need one or not, um, mentors have a way of um, shining that mirror in your face. I remember one of my bosses was saying, like, stop with the analysis paralysis. You just need to make faster decisions. Take faster risks. And um, he didn't go tell me, go buy a car in three days. But before that experience, I would have researched consumer reports ad nauseum for three months. So um, so that was really important. I had another boss um, say, you know what? You're just too comfortable what you're doing. You need Denise 2.0, and I'm going to put you in this job that where you're going to be super uncomfortable for 
six to nine months. So I think mentors and bosses have a very, if they give you the right advice and it, it could jar you from what you're doing and put you on a different trajectory. Well, what you're talking about, I mean, one, there's the direct feedback, right? That there are yeah. people that really can make sure they're addressing it. They're not working their way around. As you yeah. just kind of mentioned that example, it's, yeah. it's direct. Um, sometimes another word for that might be a hard truth, but they're kind of creating then a roadmap or a perspective yeah. on a situation, right? That should help you in your career. But sometimes it takes, like you said, that they kind of hit you in the mouth yeah. a little bit. Um, with some feedback. Yeah. And I can't tell you that early in my career, I was the best at getting the feedback, but now I seek it. I really need that perspective. I need that roadmap. And I could really rely on other people who've gone before me to see where to not stumble or where to seek. Uh, I'm part of the Boston Club now. It's a volunteer organization elevating, advancing women's um, careers through their lifelong journey. And I'm working with a lot of very accomplished women and it is really inspiring to get their experiences. It's a nonprofit. We were all volunteering, yeah. uh, but it's just, I'm making a lot of connections and not only is it fun, but it's giving me that added input, that perspective that, um, that could make it very real for me here uh, in my daily job as well. And we're obviously here in the seaport in, in Boston today. So you have the Boston kind of ecosystem. Um, how have you, you mentioned a little bit about some some places that have you've kind of joined to help you out, but how, how do you tell people that are listening, you know, ways in which they find opportunities or associations that are helpful? Yeah, I think you're right. We are in a very easy to network um, area. And um, I think people, I, I know for myself that I usually follow my interests and, and I'm looking for a few organizations I can belong to, educate myself and give back. Uh, in my case, in Chicago, it was the Healthcare Business Asso Business Women's Association, and I was there for many years. In Boston, it's been the Boston Club, and I really like where the organization is going, having a lot of thought leaders on board with equity, well-being, entrepreneur ideas. It's a lot of programming to get women on boards. Um, so there's a lot of things on what I want that the programming offers. I also belong to National Association of Board of Directors, NACD. There's a lot of great programming. There's some things I want to learn and I could learn from peers. And sometimes I just want to make sure that I am bringing the best value I can to my organization. So those educational pieces are super helpful. And other times it's like lifetime making friends at the gym and chatting up with a lot of women in a water fitness class and, um, and shooting debris afterwards. And little do I know that half of those people are in healthcare. Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, that's, you're, you're kind of covering the, the next point I was thinking about. And that is, you know, within networking, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And you have to be comfortable asking or saying, what networks are you a part of? Or what associations? You have to yeah. get out there um, because there, there is a lot of avenues or different ways you can go about it. Yeah. But having those relationships and things to be able to tap into to learn about yeah. what are good ones that have helped them out. Um, and I think a huge piece when we talk about 
developing those relationships or whether it's you know, finding the appropriate mentors um, in your career is you have to be authentic, right? You have to look at those relationships, not just as what the mentor can do for you, but how you can help them out, right? You have, they're going to sense, um, are you being authentic? Do you care about them? And when you do, those relationships just quadruple in return. But I think for me, like that's a part that I think people need to make sure that they are doing is the mentor doesn't do all the work. They're there to help with the roadmap, but you still have to do the legwork or the exercises that they're advising or talking to you about. Um, and you have to let them know that you really appreciate that they're carving out time to help them out. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? So I was very, very fortunate last year to have a mentor through the Boston Club, Roberta Matheson, and she's written all these books. You know, I didn't know. I didn't have any expectations. I was just hoping that maybe I would get the guidance for somebody who was a chief business officer before. Or, um, And she's actually written all these leadership books. She's advised CEOs. And it's been fantastic. Yes, I had to be organized and have an agenda and ask some questions. But she was also so much fun to learn from. And she asked me these direct questions and I got to read her book in progress in draft mode. It's just been an amazing give and take. And now that the mentorship is over, we still have the relationship. We can shoot the breeze and meet quarterly for lunch and exchange notes on how we can help each other at the Boston Club or in the Boston ecosystem. So I didn't go in with a take, take, take mentality. But of course, as a mentee, that's kind of what you're doing. And I'm always thinking for like, where's the win-win? How can I help paid forward? And it may not be ever that I can pay to Roberta, but maybe I can pay to somebody in the ecosystem. Similar experience that Sim you're getting from. Right, yeah. right. And I don't know if it's because I'm Turkish or my grandma was like this, like that pay forward concept has been ingrained. Um, so I just truly believe that mentorship is really, really critical. And I've also heard this concept of sponsorship. Mentorship is more like a transactional, like it could be a few times and you just give a nudge to somebody, but sponsorship is like really moving somebody's career forward for them. Yeah. So I think there's just so much opportunity in Boston. I like that sponsorship versus mentorship. I like that. And we're talking about, you know, great mentors. Um, according to Women in Bio, you have achieved what only less than 17% of female leaders have been able to do, uh, which is having a chance to be on the board. And that is an incredible feat. Let's just start there. Um, can you share with the audience, because I think that it's been a big topic of conversation of how do you get there? What are some things that you, know, you kind of contribute to? I know we've talked a little bit about kind of the career, um, but if there's like a short list or some highlights um, that you, when you look back, when you think about those things that you could tell, you know, people that are listening, what would you say? Yeah, I think maybe just for context. Uh, so I'm in three boards now, one uh, private board, which is my company, Servia Pharma, and two uh, nonprofit boards. Um, one is Gateway for Cancer Research, and I've been involved since 2014. And, uh, the other one is the Boston Club as a VP board member just recently. Yeah. And I really lucked into it 
a board seat in 2014. At the time, the company needed somebody with the right healthcare background, somebody was who was learning about or living cancer research and competitive intelligence and the application on a daily basis, somebody who would be willing to provide the right dedicated analysis and support and ask good questions. And one of my bosses decided that hey, you ask a lot of questions. Why don't you go and um, see if you can interview and get this position and your your world is going to open up. I had no idea what a gift that was. And I've learned so much from my colleagues at Gateway. I've been there since 2014 and, and it's different every time. So when I'm thinking about what I would tell others is you really need to have the unique combo that you... You have to have the skills that the company is seeking. Is it M&A? Is it entrepreneurship? Is it risk management? Is it compliance? What is it that company looking for? And do you have it? And do you do it well? Yeah. And it's also a combination how well prepared you are for that interview and asking some very good questions. And once you're on the board, you take it seriously and you give your 110%. And how have like the resources or connections helped regarding this level? Because we talked a lot about yeah. those pieces. So how they kind of integrated themselves when it comes to this topic? Uh, you know, um, before I knew about NACD or the Boston Club, I was just searching for articles on what to think through. But as soon as I was on the board of Servia Pharmaceuticals, I really wanted to make sure that I had the right competencies to be able to deliver the best value. So NACD offers a lot of true courses to get you certified. So that online system has been a godsend during COVID because I actually could plan my time and do more of that learning and listening. And with the Boston Club, there is a uh, series of educational events on how to get on a public board. And it's a four-part series uh, that Hillary uh, runs, and it's fantastic. It's, uh, you better be ready to be called on with your 30-second pitch. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it makes a very practical um, they have very practical recommendations on how you seek a board seat, how you prepare for it, and how do you network to make sure. And they also manage your expectations that a public board could be a one to two year progress and you just have to take it very seriously and make sure that you get well known so that when the time comes to make a decision on the board, people know your name, they know your reputation, and the decision is really easy. Now, you're, you're bringing up some really good points because we, we talked to a lot of candidates that are have asked, you know, how do I get on the board? You know, and, and they're kind of lost in the, in the pattern. Yeah. And we talk a lot about um, some of the things that you mentioned, but obviously their network, right? And people that are on those seats asking them kind of their journey or, or partnerships. But as you said, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. I mean, you talked about, you know, the board resume, you know, your bio, that a lot of these target companies, 
they're going to look for a specific experience. You're not going to fit all of the opportunities, right? You're going to really look for, do you have, you know, um, opportunities, let's say, whether it's in the vaccine market or the antibiotic, like you know, they're right. going to look for very specific ones or launch experience or M&A or BD, That's like right. how can that help that particular organization? And so the more you can talk to how those skill sets match those things um, and the preparation of the work going into it is so important, right? Know who you are uh, and what value you can bring to the table. Absolutely. You really need to know your value proposition and you also need to network. There are many, many organizations now that uh, help promote women, whether it's online or in person. And there are also um, some uh, certifications that help you get those credentials. So all of those are super critical. Absolutely. Um, so before we go, we have covered a lot of great topics about, you know, kind of the journey, um, the importance around the networking and authenticity. We have a couple mixed questions that we ask every participant that we have um, that joins us on the podcast. So the first question is from interview questions. What is your favorite one to ask or that you've been asked in an interview setting? Probably my favorite one to ask is what's the biggest influence in your life? I like that. That can be such an array of answers, right? You really don't know where they're going to, you know, it could be about, you talked about yeah. the story about the oncology piece, you know, you can get a, a, a great one. I love that. Um, and then the other uh, second question is favorite song for a playlist. Well, these days I can't seem to get this left and right out of my head. It's by Charlie Puth, and he went to um, Berkeley School of Music, and it's like it keeps resonating from left and right side of my stereo in the car. So that's what's uh, keeping. Uh, that's what's in the top of my head. Love it. Well, thanks again, Denise, for joining us here on the mixtape. Loved having you on. It's always great to see you. Uh, thanks again for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Todd. Well, Natalie, after hearing Denise talk, I think I got to go find a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Talk about a good mentor. I think Denise would be the best mentor ever. I she know. is so fantastic. How do we get her down here to Columbus? <laughs> yeah, we do. Denise, this is this is a call for you to come chat with our team. <laughs> So incredible to listen to. I, I love know. that. What a great story, too. It's just, I think, so important to hear directly from some of these business leaders who have so much care for what they do and have so much care for the patients. And that's what we hope for, right, with these companies that are doing great work for life-changing therapies for patients is that the patient stays at the forefront of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's really evident hearing Denise's story that that is what drove her. And so um, just really special to be able to be part of her journey and listen, get a little inside scoop, a little inside scoop. <laughs> to how she leads. And I think that's really evident, too, in the success that they've had at Servier Pharma mm -hmm. and the type of company that they've been able to grow into over the past few years. Mm -hmm. I know. I think that's incredible that they've won Best Place to Work two years in a row. And you can tell Todd is very passionate about that <laughs> as well on our end. So I think it's just a testament, again, to their excellent relationship that the two of them have and those shared values and how 
both of our organizations really put a huge emphasis on culture and how employees are, you know, being treated and, you know, all feeling a part of the same team. Yeah. And like they both said, how important that authenticity is when you're leading, when you're working and having these relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Just another side note, I really liked that Denise had a little um, mention about how um, some of the lateral moves that you can make in your career Mm -hmm. are some of the most important ones and can really make a huge impact on your overall success or some of the changes that can happen because I think a lot of people assume that the best way to continue to succeed are getting promotions or getting um, up to the next level or some kind of recognition that puts you up the ladder, I guess. But I think her highlighting that what really helps her was taking some of those lateral moves is a really good call out and something that we sometimes forget. And for me, that's been a huge factor in my um, ability to grow here at Mix was being able to be part of some of these different teams and learn so much as I continued to um, take on new positions. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So I think there's only one thing left to do. That's right. We've got a song to add to the playlist. We've got a little Charlie Puth to add on. And I think it's the first time that he's joining the playlist. So I think it is. I listened to the song on the way here, and it was great. So, Denise, you've got some awesome music taste. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thanks for being in the mix. We'll see you next week.